You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Today, we're hanging with Mr. Cooper, and five points for you if you get that reference. More specifically, we're hanging with Kelly Ann Doherty, who serves as EVP and Chief People and Communications Officer for Mr. Cooper Group, overseeing all facets of human resources and corporate communications. She also leads their culture initiatives to create a more encouraging and empowering work environment. Kellyanne is a strategic leader seasoned in navigating the landscape of the financial services industry and served as a crisis spokesperson, public affairs expert, communications innovator, and executive counselor. Kellyanne is also active in her community, serving on the board of directors for the Women's Center of Tarrant County. On today's episode, Kellyanne speaks to us about how to manage culture through crisis, hybrid working and fairness models, and building an organization that attracts the next generation. Welcome to another episode of Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and I'm extremely excited to have Kelly Ann Doherty with us today. Kelly, welcome. Thank you so much, Ron. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, us too. I was super excited when I saw your name and I checked out your profile. You've got a pretty interesting role with Mr. Cooper. To, to tell, it looks like you went from communications to people and culture. Am I getting that right? That's exactly right. So my background is in communications and crisis communications for that matter. Um, But I believe that communications, especially when you're embedded at a company, um, your first focus really has to be internal. It has to be your team members because they are the brand ambassador for you, um, whether that's with your customer, with a stakeholder, or with any other group. And so I spent a lot of time really helping the company to reimagine the culture. And in that work um, came the opportunity to lead not just the communications team, but the entire HR function, including recruiting, developing, the HR business partners, um, and now also the brand team. So I touch a lot of different things that have a big impact on our culture at the company. And it sounds like there's, there's these things are connected in a lot of ways too, right? Communication is, con- I feel like in days of past, communication was with uh, marketing and sales and, and uh, you know, culture was with HR. And so, so those two things are now, I feel like communication is really starting to uh, be used and, and connected with, um, with HR and, and with that strategy to get, you know, get the culture pushed out there. Would that be accurate? I, you know, I think that communications, generally speaking, is um, an incredibly strategic field to be in. And especially when you consider the events over the past year and how important it's been to be communicating honestly and transparently with your your team members, with your customers, with your stakeholders, um, it's really elevated the view of what communications can be. And because at least at Mr. Cooper, we believe that it all starts with your team members, having that communications focus um, there and integrated really tightly with the policies that also impact our team members has made a lot of sense. And I think it's been one of the best things that we've done in responding to 2020 um, because our communications has really led the way and it's been what's kept our people informed and really built that trust that's been necessary to weather, weather this crisis. So I want to get to crisis, but I want to rewind for a second. I, I, I love to ask the question to, to our guests of what was your culture aha moment? So Kellyanne, when, 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 when did you have, and you know, I had certainly had a shift. Most people have had of, of, you know, maybe believing that culture was, was, you know, unicorns and fairy tales to say, wow, this is really important. Was there a moment for you that, that 
you made a transition, say, wow, I need to start looking at this. This is a really important part of, of business. You know, I think that it was really um, at the very beginning of the transformation that we were trying to go through. We wanted to rebrand the company. We saw a pivotal moment in our um, in our history in which we we had an opportunity to really get in front of the industry trends that have typically dominated the way we thought about our strategy and start to lead. And in that moment in time, we knew we had to blow up a lot of things, um, including our name. So we we rebranded to Mr. Cooper. But, but in that moment, we also realized how critical every single team member was going to be in that transformation. And I think that it was in that moment that we decided to start with our team members first. So in fact, we rolled out our brand to our company a year and a half before we rolled it out to our customers. And that seems counterintuitive to a lot of companies today. But for us, it, it became so evident that our team members had to be bought in. They were going to be the heart and soul of whatever it was that we did. And if we didn't get them on board early and often, it, it wasn't gonna work. And so that for, for me was really the critical moment in time in which we realized that our, our team members thinking about our culture was really what was going to drive the change that we, need, we needed to make in order to, to transform our business um, and become a more successful company in the long term. Yeah, got it. And so let's go to crisis for a second because there seems to be um, this um, connection between resiliency. You need to have a resilient culture to, to deal with crisis. And so how do you build resiliency? And it sounds like you guys had done that. You had a bit of a crisis and, and, and you know, you, you won or you, you, you knew you fought way through. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, well, I think that 2020 has been a crisis. Um, For everybody, right. Every company has felt that. And I think what I'll, I'll refer back to is just the multiple crises that the company that um, is now Mr. Cooper has gone through. Being in the mortgage industry um, and being a mortgage servicer and a mortgage originator, we've weathered many cycles, um, including the housing crisis of 2009. And it was really in that moment that deep thought started to go into how we wanted to transform. And over a several year period, that transformation work began. And as I said, we really started with our people first, and that's about your values. It's creating the rules or the road. It's creating that playbook for your people. And so we, we did that. We rolled those values out almost six years ago. And I think that it's in those values that that resiliency has been born, has almost become a rallying cry for our people. Um, our values are really simple. Challengers of convention, champions for our customers, and cheerleaders for our team. And in those three values, you can see exactly how that's played out even in 2020. So for us, our crisis has looked a little bit different than, than others in that we've had a couple. We had the pandemic, which was a, a big crisis for our people and figuring out how to manage um, and lead teams that are all over the country and in different types of roles. But then we also had a crisis with our customers. Um, when people suddenly couldn't go to work, they needed help with their mortgages. And we've had um, hundreds of thousands of customers need that type of assistance. So we went from a company of about 8,000 people on March 15th to a company of about 9,500 in two weeks' time, just in trying to ramp up to meet the overwhelming demand from our customers, while also trying to move our people to remote work. And that's when those three values come into play. How are we going to use those three values to guide our work, um, guide our guide our rallying cry, and and really inspire our team members to keep on showing up in the way that they have. Um, because I think that everybody would tell you there's 
just no other way around crisis but really hard work and determination and resilience and we've we've really seen that play out in our values and play out in the way that our team members have responded to this and you know as you're talking and thinking about there must be some complexity with doubling down in values and i loved you know three values short sweet simple covers the customer the company and and, and see it seems like they were well thought out but you're you're also in a highly regulated industry, correct? A lot of compliance. How do you balance compliance regulation, which is not in your control, with values? Right. Well, you know, that's a great question, and it's something that we are grappling with every single day because, especially in 2020 and trying to help our customer, there's a lot of regulatory guidelines that we've also had to follow that our team members had to understand very quickly. And the way that we look at it is really all back to the customer. At the end of the day, what regulators are looking for is for the customer to have an honest, good, transparent experience. And that's what we want to. That's what being a champion for our customer means. And I think that it's being able to explain what those things are in a way that's really clear um, easy to understand, easy to follow, but also with a really helpful spirit. And so that's how we've been able to blend the two. They're really not that opposed. It's just finding ways to take something that feels really yeah. um, bogged down in technicality with the straight talk that people often need um, to be able to understand what that means. So that's how we've been able to make it work. And, and frankly, that's why champion for our customers is such an important value. Um, but I would also say that challengers of convention, this has also been a huge um, area in which we've been able to actually impact the way that regulations are rolled out. We, for example, have led the industry in creating an online platform for people to go and get help um, if they need it because of the pandemic. We presented that to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, our largest investors. We've showcased that with our other big regulators and they've used that as the hallmark for how we could take something that used to be very um, paperwork driven um, and move it into a digital way. And so it's that constant partnership and constantly working with them to challenge that convention that I think we've been able to find success in bridging the two. Yeah. And so it sounds like you've also leaned on simplicity, trying to keep it simple because there's a lot of complexity in, in that stuff. And so keeping it simple cuts through the noise, correct? That's right. Well, think about it. I mean, and, and I take this to be true when we're talking to our team members as well, how do people consume information today? They're consuming information on Twitter. They're watching a 15 to 30 second video. They are not reading a 10 page long email. They're not watching a 30 minute long video. They might be listening to a podcast. And so what we need to do as communicators and, and as leaders, not just for our company um, and our team members, but for our customers is finding ways to communicate with them in the way that they're consuming information today. And that's been a big focus for us and something that that we've really utilized as a part of our toolkit in our internal communications that I think has been extremely effective. Communicate in the way where and how your people um, want to receive their information and then repeat it over and over and over again. Um, because people, even if you think you've said it enough, you probably haven't. They really need that repetition to, to make sure that that message lands. And, and I get on the customer side, but you said people as well. And so I'm assuming you're using the same strategies to communicate internally. Tell, tell us about some of those. Right. So one of our uh, best and most frequently used platforms is our internal social networking platform. We use Yammer today. It's one of the more popular ones. Yeah. But I think what makes us different is the way that we've utilized it. We actually push out a lot of company news on that platform to drive participation and engagement. And I think that that's been a hallmark of our success with Yammer because we, we made people go there to get that information. 
that's a great example of using social platforms to drive that message and really give it a viral nature. When you're saying something as a company, that's great and people are going to listen, but, but it's even more powerful when you've got 30 other leaders also sharing that message. And that's something that we've worked really actively on. We also use video. Um, we do a weekly series called Hanging with Jay. That's our CEO's name. Um, and Hanging with Jay is a, sometimes it's a minute long, sometimes it's a couple of minutes, but very short and sweet. Um, not super scripted because people don't love to well, see They want authenticity. That's exactly right. So that's a big change that we made. Um, and he just talks about what's on his mind. People really love those videos. We of course do the emails, we've got the internet page, but then we do, we do calls. We do weekly um, all leader calls um, in which we'll cover a variety of subjects. Early on in the pandemic, we were doing them multiple times a week. We just felt like people needed to hear in the moment what was happening and, and the decisions that we were making. And sometimes if we didn't have an answer, they just needed to know that we were working on it. Uh, and then we've moved to a little bit less of a frequent cadence, but still every week just to give them insight into big things that are happening in the industry or at the company. And that always gets a lot of participation. Uh, we found that that's been a really powerful tool because managers are your people leaders. They're the ones who are really talking to their teams every day. They're the ones who really need to carry that message forward. So we do a lot of things to try to equip them. We also give them what we call huddle points so that once a week they can have a huddle with their team. Here are some things that are happening at the company. These are the things we wanna make sure that you cover and then whatever else you need to cover to do that. And then the last thing I would say that's been really important is creating space for two-way conversation. People don't wanna be talked at, they wanna be talked with. And so both on our social network, we encourage dialogue, but we also do a lot of community conversations through our um, inclusion teams in which we open up the floor for people to share what their experiences are. And then we, we utilize surveys quite a bit because I believe that listening is more important than talking. And if you're hearing what your people are saying, if you're hearing what's on their minds, what's affecting them, you can start to make better decisions um, that influence them in a way that's gonna create a really positive culture experience. It's, it's interesting. You know, all these points you're talking about sounds like a very thought out internal communications playbook, which sounds awesome. Oh, it's, uh, it's my, one of the things that I'm most proud of, and we have an absolutely incredible team um, that leads that. And I think the company realized early on, especially in our brand transformation, how important internal communications could be in that effort. And then the pandemic hits and having a lot of those, frankly, those, those tools that I just talked about, they, those were in place. These were not new things that we came up with. We just maybe utilized them more than we normally would um, because we had those in place, because we had trust from our team members that we were going to be transparent with them, that they were going to hear from us. Um, we had that trust come back to us and they really responded to the pandemic in a way um, that has been absolutely incredible um, because of that. Trust is a two-way street. So I think communications is at the heart of that. Look, absolutely. But, but also with a company your size, it, see, it feels like we're talking to a tech startup, not a, a, such a large company that has such deep roots it's really refreshing to see a company that takes this, you know, takes culture and communicating to internal stakeholders as, as much as external customers. I think that um, in some ways we almost take it more seriously because again, our, our team members are our brand ambassador. When you think about um, the way that our team members are engaging with our customers every day, it's, it's on the phone, it could be through the digital platform, but, but we set the tone. Uh, how we communicate with each other, how we treat each other. 
sets the tone for how they're going to treat their customers. Um, and Southwest has been a great example of that. They, they, one of their executive leaders spent some time with our CEO early on in our transformation, and it was all about happy teams leading to happy customers and how that was great for business. And we believe that, and we've seen that play out. Um, and that's why we take it so seriously. Communicating with our people has only delivered really positive results. Um, and I think it's, it's also helped us to weather the storms. We don't always have great news to share but trusting that we're going to share it, um, that we're going to talk about, it, we're going to be transparent with it, um, has given us the grace um, from our employees to be able to handle those situations and, and still maintain that trust and maintain that camaraderie that's built the culture that we have today. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I look at, you know, I've watched Gary Kelly from Southwest and some of his messaging. And of course, the message is, we're in hot water here. You know, here's what we're trying to do. So it, it, I felt like a stakeholder. I've never actually even flown Southwest, you know, I've got relationships in the company, but yeah. I felt like, wow, I, I'm getting the goods from his account right away. I mean, th that must be so impactful as an employee to say, thank you for sharing this. It's not just, shoo, we pulled the rug and um, now I'm going to explain why you're furloughed or laid off because, uh, you know, we've had these challenges, which is so reactive. They're really allowing people to get information, which I think is key in transitioning to from employee to stakeholder. That's right. right? Not shareholder, but I now have a stake because I have information. That's right. That's exactly right. And, you know, I think that for our industry in particular, being in the mortgage space, it's, it's incredibly cyclical. We go through cycles um, almost to the day sometimes because of the way that we follow interest rates. And, and that has a huge impact on our team. We found that being transparent, communicating often helps us to manage those cycles with them. Because um, as a business, there are just some things that are out of our control. And being able to own that um, and, and really be transparent has helped a tremendous amount. And it's made our team members stakeholders. And in and, uh, and a lot of ways, also our customers, um, we want our people to choose us um, as customers too. And so we've done a lot of things to incentivize that as well. Again, as, as brand ambassadors, we've got a, um, a down payment assistance program where we help people to make their first down payment. We have special refunds and discounts on our loan products um, because we do believe so much that our people, our team members are, are really where everything starts um, and they're the best customer too. I love that. We, we actually, for our company, Vita Living, which is an affordable living uh, multi-unit family uh, business in Canada, we just announced some similar initiatives. You know, mm -hmm. we'll give someone an allowance to move out of one of our units if they bought their first home, rent credits if they bought their first vehicle, if they get a, a, a promotion at work, we'll give them the rent credit. We're really trying to lean into our customers and help them get ahead. I love that. We seem to be quite aligned there. Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, I, one, one thing I, I failed to admit, which is such a shame on me, is that our purpose is keeping the dream of home ownership alive. That's really it. what we're all about. And um, that, again, has been so fundamental to the way that we've approached this crisis um, throughout the pandemic, because in that moment, and helping people, helping our customers weather that, weather that storm, keeping their dream of homeownership alive has never been more important. And so oh, yeah. it's been great to see our people really rally around that. But I also think going back to culture, it's so important that the benefits that you provide, the space that you create internally should really line back up to that purpose. And how in the world can we say, well, we're going to do that for our customers if we're not willing to go the extra mile for our people. And Love so it. start with our people, start with those benefits for them, um, really encourage that. And, and again, 
it starts there. If people feel like we're there to support their dream of home ownership, they're going to turn around and be that much more supportive of the customer because of it. Oh yeah. And, and so Kelly, and I want to talk about, you know, as people talk about the new norm and this hybrid model, you guys are thinking about how to, you know, restructure to have optimal, optimal teams and, and, and fairness. How does that work? How, tell me more about that. So I think it goes back to that two-way listening. One of the things that we've heard resoundingly from our people is that they really love this flexibility. They actually like working from home um, and they've done an exceptional job of it. Our productivity numbers are through the roof, better than they've ever been, um, believe it or not. Um, and that's with all the competing demands that they have within the home. So it's absolutely remarkable. And because of that listening, we need to respond to that. We need to deliver um, on a new model that gives them that flexibility, not just because they've asked for it, but be because they've proven that they, can, um, that they can handle it. So we are taking a step back and really thinking about what that looks like in a way that, of course, first and foremost, preserves the, um, our ability to protect the health and wellness of our people. That's a given in the pandemic. So that's um, a very important piece. But then also how we protect our culture um, and an environment in which people are remote either all, all the time or most of the time and still helps us to meet our business objectives. And so we've been looking team by team, really getting granular to see wow. what's going back into the weeds. Let's talk to this team. That's right. Into the, into the weeds, because what we recognize is that not, it's not a one size fits all. We've got call center um, team members. We've got um, loan processors. We've got loan officers. We have IT staff. We have product staff. We have communication staff. All of those groups need something different. And what we want to be able to do is create a structure that gives them the optimal flexibility while still creating that sense of unification and purpose um, across, the, across the board. So we are going deep because we believe that that's the best way to get to an answer um, that'll make a lot of sense for us long-term. So, so would it be fair to say that you, your organization has leaned into this so much they've, that, that, that you've used this opportunity to bring these teams closer to you to get deeper in these conversations, more so than you did pre-pandemic? Oh, night and day, we are talking so much more about optimal org design today than we ever did. And what I love about the pandemic Nothing great about the pandemic, but, yeah. but, but the opportunity that's presented, the opportunities presented is to really rethink everything. What would, what would you do if you could start over and mm -hmm. build from scratch? Because um, I was listening to somebody with a consulting group a couple of weeks ago. They said, not since the industrial revolution has work been reshaped in the way that it's being reshaped today. What an opportunity for companies to, to really go deep and understand how that might positively impact your company from a productivity, from an efficiency, from a culture perspective. And so that's what we're doing. And it's been really interesting to see how different teams respond. And what are some of the biggest lessons that, or, or information that you're receiving from this? What are some aha moments? Like, wow, I would have never thought of that, but now that I get to speak to you, is there anything that's popping up that maybe you didn't think about before as an organization? You know, I think that one thing that's been counterintuitive for us has been that call center rules, for example, that's something that we've always had in house. And um, it was believed that a lot of management was necessary to get the type of productivity that you needed out of that group. Well, that's not true. Um, actually, call center rules might be the best and most optimal 
to be in a completely remote environment because of the nature of the job. Whereas the corporate roles, the roles that are highly collaborative that need a lot of interaction are the ones that are gonna to need to be in the office most often. Typically when people are giving work from home benefits, they're thinking about the, um, in the US, the exempt staff. Um, they're not thinking about the non-exempt staff. But I actually think we need to flip that on its head and start to really take away um, some of the preconceived notions that we've had about what makes the most sense for remote work because everybody wants flexibility. And in some of those more procedural roles, it might be more optimal for them to be at home. And then let's think about what that looks like and dive in there. And I, I, that's been really interesting to me. Um, I also think that there's a lot of talk of the gig economy and I certainly don't believe that companies are gonna move in that direction entirely, but but there is an element of that type of mindset that we need to find ways to implement within our own culture in a way that works for our business. Um, because that's what I think the next generation of worker is looking for. And we have an opportunity to get in front of that and reshape what would be a really attractive workplace for a Gen Zer, for example, either part remote, part hybrid. Um, and that's something else that we're we're looking at because they think about work differently. They get they get something different out of out of work. Um, and so that's been one factor. And then the last thing I would say is just geographically, it's very different. Um, what our people want in California is very different than what they might want in Texas. And we have team members in India, very different than what our team members in India want. So, so not allow one size fits all. It's just not, it's just not. And we've got to be flexible to that um, in a way that's really fair. And that's, that's going to be the hard part. And you mentioned Gen Z. You know, and and I, I feel in my own companies, I haven't broken that strategy down. And I think it's a blind spot for me. And I need to be thinking about that. What is Mr. Cooper doing about that generation? And, you know, and do you take different strategies? I, I hear you on teams, locations, but what about generations? What are, what are we learning? And what are some strategies that you feel, feel will, will help um, with different generations? So, you know, I think that we're, we are starting to think about it because I, I believe that everything that's happened to 2020 has really revealed all the opportunities that we could be taking advantage of. And the first and, the first and most important thing for, for people, especially as you're trying to attract younger talent, is to create pathways of opportunity for them within the company to demonstrate that. I love that you use the word pathways, by the way. Yes. It's, you know, one thing that somebody taught me in my career is that it's not linear. It's not, it's not you go from point A to B to C. That might've been the way it was done before, but the reality is real growth happens when you're willing to move and try different things. And so we've been trying to think through how we can best enable that in a more remote environment. Um, we do a lot of training, a lot of our jobs because of our regulatory requirements need a lot of really specific training. So we do a lot of that. And we've been doing all of that um, in a digital way too, remotely. But, um, but how can we, give people an opportunity to do that. So one program that we've launched that I'm pretty excited about, we call the HAP team, Home Advisor team. They're a blended customer service role and loan officer role. And there's a pretty big disparity between earning possibilities within those two roles. And we've created that pathway because we found that people who can really understand how to serve the customer, but also know how to sell a product are gonna be able to convert those customers that we do have that might be eligible for a refinance at a much higher rate. And so bringing and investing in teams like that, that's really where we're looking to build um, the future of talent at the company. And, and we've seen some great success from them early on. And, and those are the types of ways that we're, we're looking to meet that younger generation um, and bring them in. 
to the company um, in a way that that's exciting for them. That's great. So, you know, it, it, you know, back to talking to teams in this generation, you're really doing like customer focus groups, but they're internally, you're really oh, yeah. listening to individuals and letting them participate in their future. That's got to be so inspiring for, for the Gen Z's, for these different teams in your organization. Yeah. You know, I think that I always say that you've got to listen, um, listen to what your team, first ask, ask team members where they're at, listen to what they say, but then you have to act on it. Um, and going back to communication strategies, one of the things that I believe really is um, powerful in this exercise is when you're acting on feedback, making sure that you're telling team members that that's exactly what you're doing. Say, hey, remember when two months ago you told us that you wanted this? We heard you and here's what we're doing about it. And allowing people to more easily make that connection, A, inspires them to continue to give us feedback, which is really important. Um, and B, and it builds trust. So I think that that's been a really important part of developing some of the programs that we've created um, at the company today. And it's um, it's exciting to get that feedback. And it's really, it's even more exciting to be able to roll out new programs um, and know that it's because it's it's something that your team members really wanted to see. Well, I, I, I can tell you're excited. I can feel your energy and you keep using the word opportunity. There's so many opportunities. This is just very refreshing for a large yeah. company, but let me go to trust for a second because you know, Gen Z, in some cases, they think corporation is bad. And so, so, so getting their feedback, the step in between getting real feedback is trust. How do you build trust with that organization, or not organization, with that demographic, that generation, I should say? Is, is there a special way you do that? Because they might come in a little apprehensive or, or not. You know, I think that, um, well, one, it's, it really starts with the way that you're bringing people into the company, right? And having a really great onboarding and recruiting experience. So that's step one. People are developing trust with your organization before they before they even take that first interview. So yeah, that's the cover of your book. We are being judged by that process. You're right. That's exactly right. So start there. Really think about what that employer brand looks like and make sure that you're showcasing that and, and really sharing all of the great attributes um, that the company company has from an employee employer perspective early and often so that they've, they've got that really great foundation um, before they've even stepped foot or virtual foot in your building. Then what I about storytelling? Are you using lots of stories? So we, I love storytelling. One of the things that we focus on, um, especially on our social channels, is actually letting our own team members tell those stories. We use a lot of team member quotes. We use a lot of team member blog posts um, because they're, again, whether that's recruiting somebody or working with a customer, you're, they're, they're your best brand ambassador. So that's a big part of our strategy. I'd also say we, we offer pretty healthy referral um, incentives for our own team members because the best type of candidate that you're going to bring is somebody that um, a team member referred to, referred to the company. So we rely heavily on that as a part of our recruiting strategies and we've found good success there. And I love what you said about, you know, you really pointed out that, that, you know, me as president CEO, doesn't matter. I might not be trusted as well as a customer trusts a customer, a staff members trust a staff member. So getting that, you know, I think even internally, we have to do a better job at making sure that these stories are told from other stakeholders uh, at the okay. same, uh, going through the same thing as a, as a current staff member. That's right. It's not just about the leader, but I would say that once they step foot in their doors, one of the ways that I believe um, does build trust, especially with, and this is true for really any generation, but especially for Gen Zers, is, is them seeing that you're you're communicating to them in the ways that they're receiving information today 
and it's straight talk. Um, corporate speak is corporate speak and everybody can see through that. Uh, going back to those Hanging With Jay videos that we do, it's our CEO, he might be in a t-shirt, he might be in a suit jacket, it just depends on what he's doing that day, and he's just talking. And people feel that, um, and that inherent and, and transparent and authentic leadership is something that we wanna see in, in all of our leaders, frankly all the way from the CEO down to our frontline managers. And I think that that's really where trust um, also gets built. Uh, we were talking the other day, uh, so we've got a second book coming out called Scaling Culture, and, and we have a trust chapter. And in that, we talk about what happens when you break trust. And we said, we say in the book that, look, you can't rebuild trust through an apology or I'm sorry. It's rebuilt through a new commitment. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess in saying that, it sounds like, you know, through a lot of the activities you're doing, you're actually right out of the gate, just making commitments to people and saying, hey, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're, we're saying this and you're going to see a, a follow through. And so that must also build trust with those who, who um, may be a little weary entering the organization. I, I, think it, I think it is. And, you know, and I, I, the one thing I would say about trust when it's broken, and, and that it could be a small break, it could be a big break. But, but even in a small break, own it. Um, we right. had an issue with our open enrollment a few weeks ago um, that impacted about 200 people out of the company. And that's a, a small number of people. It was a, a pretty simple mistake to fix, but they all got a note from me owning what had happened. Um, because while it might be a small break in the scheme of things for that one person, it might've been big. And, and I felt like they needed to hear from me as the leader of that function that I saw it, I heard it, I owned it, and we were going to do better next time. And was I that think that is important. And Kelly, I love that, but was that the format? I saw it, I heard you, I'm owning it. Is that, yeah. was that the format? Yes, yes, yeah. That's right, because really there's no going, you're at ground zero. There's only one place to go up now, right? Now it's a <laughs> right. new commitment, I heard you, right. That's right, that's right. And I, you know, and I, I think that it's, so often when, when even small mistakes are, are being made, people want to, find ways to, to spin that. And uh, as a communications person, I love a good spin, but I, I really feel like with internal communications in particular, you just have to own it, own it and move on. Um, and people will move on with you if you give them that. I'll tell you what I hate uh, from my own experience is the, the non-answer and answer. Hey, we heard you, we're going to investigate further. No blame here. I hate that. Yeah, it's just, just take, just take ownership. And, and yeah. an example that I just gave, it was actually not our company's fault. It was a provider that had made a mistake. And, but what, but that, that doesn't even matter because people don't differentiate. No one cares. They, they just wanted to hear from me. And so that's what they got. And again, small example, um, but it could have been big for that person. And small or big, you really just need to own where you're at. So look, in closing, Kelly, anything we didn't talk about today, and, and I've loved this conversation, you're certainly, you know, I, I always say that anytime I can feel the energy through Zoom, someone loves what they do with it. it, it we don't even need to talk about the culture. We can see it, right? Which is really exciting. What, anything else that we haven't talked about that you think may be valuable to those listening? You know, I think that when you think about culture, and especially in 2020, making sure that it's an inclusive one has become such an important consideration. And inclusion is, um, it shows itself in so many places other than in the diversity and resource teams, which are fantastic and absolutely critical. But think about inclusion in your policies, 
think about inclusion in the way that you're setting your hybrid or remote work policies moving forward because um, in that you're having big impacts on diverse populations and, and make sure that there's not any unintended consequences in the decisions that you're making um, and that you're leaving any one group out for, for reasons that might be unknown to you. And I, I say that because of an example that somebody told me, it wasn't my own, and I love this story, but it was basically about a company who made a decision to move buildings and didn't take into consideration that they were moving away from a bus route. Well, it just so happened that a lot of their African-American employees took the bus to work. Suddenly, they were forced with not being able to go to, go to work or finding different transportation. And that it's the story hit home for me because it just proved to me that even a move like a real estate decision can have an impact on the way that inclusion is perceived at your company and so as you're making decisions be really mindful of what that looks like for every type of team member and be fair in your decision making process because there are ways that um, your decisions can have impacts that, that you don't even think about and that story always grounds me and i always think about that when i'm confronted with big issues well I, I, I hear two themes. One is it's not just about the P&L. Yeah. Um, it's the holistic approach. And then it connects back with your other message from today, which is talking to the stakeholder about the changes and getting them involved with the change. I.e., hey, everybody who gets the bus here, okay. here's our problem. How, how, how can you help us solve it? Because we have a problem. Maybe it's whatever that issue was. There's certainly a challenge. Maybe rent's too high. We're not going to get the lease renewed, whatever it is, you know? Right. That's exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So that's something else that I think about a lot. Um, and 2020, I, I think, has done um, an important job of showcasing how much more important that really is to your team members, and, and how important it is that companies be thoughtful about that. I think you're right, and I think that uh, those who lean into these things are going to win, and those who just say, "Ah, it's just a blip in the road. It's a fad," they're going to lose. That's right. Going back to the opportunity that 2020 has presented, it's, I think, going to fundamentally change the way that we work um, and the way that we treat our employees. And I'm here for it, frankly. I think that- You're up for the challenge. Lean into it. Lean into it because we've got a, a, great, a great opportunity as, as companies and as businesses to, to really create something special for your people. And so I, I'm looking forward to what can evolve from here, as hard as 2020 has been. I think that um, 2021 and the future that it can create will be really bright. Well, look, uh, and I look forward to watching yourself and Mr. Cooper as you lead the charge and are fearless about uh, the future. And so thank you for coming on today and sharing your story. It's been really uh, powerful and impactful. And I've got a lot of uh, a lot of great nuggets for myself as well. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, such a pleasure to talk with a fellow culture enthusiast. So I appreciate the time. For more information on Kellyanne or anything else related to scaling culture, please see the show description for details. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.